Good morning. It is good to be with you this morning. Normally I have a built-in mic where I don't have to stay behind the podium, but you can hear my voice a little bit this morning. This is my favorite time of the year, other than I have to deal with my sinuses. Uh, so I am luckily over the sinus part for the most part, but then my voice is the last thing I have to get over. So hopefully we can get through the lesson this morning and be, be good there. But it is good to be with you. Greetings from across the river over in Udawal, uh from the family over there. But it is always a blessing to be with you. Uh, I'm itching to get back over for uh, the men's retreat that was had so I can have some more catfish and hush puppies. Uh, that was really good last year. And I also want to say thank you for letting Hannah take vacation. Uh, I know the family was in need of one. We all know that Joel don't do enough to really deserve a vacation. But, uh, but indeed, I know that you are blessed to have uh, that family with you. Joel is a dear friend. I love him very much. He's a great encourager to me and my ministry and just uh, friendship. But it is great to be with you this morning. You know, as I was coming up trying to think of what to say, what to talk about this morning, you know, as, as the church, we know we are different. We're of the world, but we're not in the We're not supposed to be of the world, but we're still in the world, right? But yet, too many times, instead of being the royal priesthood, God's own special people, holy people that are supposed to be set apart from the world. We allow things to creep into the world. We allow sayings, we allow culture to creep in and be a part of our brother, brothers and sisters. And so there's three sayings that I want us to talk about this morning, three lies that too many of us sometimes believe, that we think are sayings that we can follow, that we can talk about, but I'm going to be real honest. It's not what Jesus taught. It's not what the Bible tells us. And so the title of the lessons is three things Jesus did not say, but yet the world will lie and say that he did say. The first one is, follow your heart or live your truth how many of you have heard that saying follow your heart or live your truth it's a statement that's believed by billions of people you don't believe me just look to social media how many people's following their heart on social media how many people's living their truth on social media why is the church on decline because people are wanting to live the way that they want to and essentially, the definition, it's a belief that your heart is a compass inside of you that will direct you to your own true north. Because let's be honest, truth is subjective to your life, to your beliefs. But can we know truth? John 17, 17, sanctify them with truth because your word is what? Truth. So can we know truth? Yes, it's not the matter of what our truth is, it's about what God's truth is. This statement can sound so beautiful, 
It can sound simple. It even sounds liberating when you think about it. And therefore, if you're living in the world, it's one of those statements that you look at and go, you know what, that's something that I would want to live for. That's a gospel that I want to believe. But let's think about this a minute. Is your heart, is your own truth a leader you really want to follow? That's a hard question when you really get into it. That's a deep question if you want to be serious. Is it a leader that you really want to follow? And as you think about that, and you think about your heart, then you really got to consider that your heart really has sociopathic tendencies. Have you thought about that? Your heart will deceive you. What does your heart, your truth, tell you about you? Your heart has likely said things over the years of your life that you don't want anybody to know. Your heart has told you things that you are probably thinking about right now going, I don't want my eldership to know that. I don't want my preacher to know that. I don't want my wife to know that. I know mine has. My heart tells me that all my reality ought to serve whose desires? My desires. My heart likes to think the best of me while thinking the worst of others. Unless... Unless others happen to think well of me. If they think well of me, then they're wonderful people, aren't they? But if they don't think well of me, then they're not wonderful people. If they disagree with me, then something's wrong with them. How many of you have heard the cancel culture or the walk culture? Culture. And while my heart is pondering my virtues, while thinking about other people's errors, because let's face it, my way's the right way, right? Or if I was to ask you what's the best way to do something, you're going to tell me your way is the right way and everybody else's is wrong. If you don't believe me, go ask some married couples. The husband is never right. Wife is always right. But it's how we think in our world. And then when we're thinking this way, suddenly our heart shifts. And as we're thinking about our own virtues and we're thinking about other people's errors, we suddenly find some immoral or horribly angry thought that becomes very attractive. And now our heart begins to lie to us. No, friends, family, our hearts will not save us. We need to be saved from our heart. We don't need to follow our own heart. The follow your heart mentality, live your own truth mentality, is not found in Scripture. Actually, when you look at it, the Bible thinks that our hearts are diseased. You go to Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? But then from Jesus, the great physician, in Matthew 15, 18, and 19. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. 
I don't know about you, but if my own heart deceives me, is that great leadership material? It's not. I don't want to be guided by a heart that's going to deceive me and defile me. The truth is, no one lies to us more than our own hearts do. If our hearts are our compasses, how many of you have seen Pirates of the Caribbean? A few. You recall Jack Sparrow's compass? Did it work very well? No, it was all over the place. And that's kind of how our hearts work. Our hearts can be all over the place because it doesn't tell us the truth. It tells us what we want. It tells us what we desire. We are biased to ourselves too many times instead of looking to the one above. Our hearts, if there are guides, then sometimes they're not going to be benevolent. If they are, if we're trying to be benevolent, then we realize that right off the back end we're sitting here thinking, all right, how does this benefit me? How can I get something out of this? In fact, if we do what our hearts want to do, we're going to be a very selfish, we're going to be a very prideful people because we're going to give in to our desires. Our hearts want to consume these things for our own self-glory, for our own self-indulgence when you really get down to it. No, our hearts will not save us. We need to be saved from our hearts. Therefore, this is why Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 16, verse 23. But I want us to go over to Luke chapter 9. I like that one. Thank you, brother. If you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 9. And listen to what Jesus says that it takes to follow him. Jesus didn't say, follow your heart, live your truth. Jesus says, follow me. And here, looking down at verse 23 of Luke chapter 9. Scripture tells us, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow you, follow yourself, follow your heart, or says, follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. You know, this is a matter of denying ourselves. And this is really hard, especially when we have everything at our fingertips right now, don't we? This is even really hard when you think of how blessed of a people we are to live in the United, United States of America. We are very rich people compared to the rest of the world. And therefore, because of that, we've let too much desire, greed, selfishness creep into our hearts but Jesus says here you know what you've got to deny yourself a matter of fact if you are a Christian this morning what have you done you've made a vow to completely deny yourself you took your old self and hung it on the cross with Christ of going through his death burial and resurrection to where you say you know what Jesus is not my life anymore that I'm living for. I am living for you. This was why so many people had a hard time following Jesus. 
because it's no matter what our desires are, what our heart wants, it's the matter of looking unto Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. Because no one gets to the Father except through Him, John 14, verse 6. If we're truly going to be followers of Jesus Christ, then we have to deny ourselves. You go over to John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What a wonderful passage that is. I like also John chapter 10 verse 27 where he's talking about how he is the great shepherd. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. How does Jesus know us if we follow him? Does Jesus know you this morning? Are you following him? I also like 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 21. For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. One thing I love about Jesus Christ is does he ask us to do anything that he wasn't willing to do in his own life? Had a wonderful class this morning talking about the Godhead, talking about the pre-incarnate Christ. But when you talk about Christ and you talk about his sacrifice in leaving heaven... To come live as a man. To live among his creation. To dwell among us. That was a great sacrifice. And Jesus didn't ask us to do anything that he wasn't willing to do. And who was he willing to follow? God the Father. He sacrificed to empty himself to come and live in the form of a servant. I love Jesus Christ. So it's not the matter of following my heart or living my truth. We're to follow him. We're to follow Christ. But then we got another saying. Believe in yourself. You know, when you think about believe in yourself, it's really a banner statement to build up self-esteem. And it's really not a bad statement, which isn't a bad thing, right? It's not a bad thing to build up your self-esteem. We need it sometimes. And if you can change how you view yourself, then it helps change how you act in certain ways, right? We want our kids to have good self-esteem about them so that they can go out and be successful. So it's got a right meaning, but too many times we corrupt it and we give it the wrong message. This leads us into, if we believe in ourselves, then we're going to take things in our, own, in our own hands. We're going to do it the way that we want to because the fact is, no one can do it better than I can. And I struggle with this. I don't want to hand things off. Because if I do it, if I sit down and make sure it happens, guess what? I can make sure it's done. In the business world, when you're a manager... How hard is it to delegate responsibilities? Especially when you have to answer for whatever your team is doing. It's hard. Because you believe in yourself. You believe that you do it the right way and they're not going to do it as good as you. That's the problem that we get into. 
But the fact is, no one will mislead, no one will hinder, no one will lie, no one will distract us more than you will. Have we thought about that? Three examples I want you to think about. Because the Bible gives us numerous warnings. Just go through Proverbs, just go through Psalms, and you can see that. But I want you to go back to Genesis chapter 3. You go back to Genesis chapter 3. This believing in yourself was the major problem as to why man ends up falling. Falling. You go to verse 1 of chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say... You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree, trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. So what'd she do? Did she believe wholeheartedly in God? She knew who God was. And here she comes out and she goes, Well, God said, you know, we can't do this, and we also can't touch it. Did God say anything about not touching the tree? All he said was you can't eat of it. But let's go on in the account. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Ooh, so what did he want? She believed in herself. If I take this tree, I'm going to be wise like God. I'm going to know as much as God does. And then what does she do? She eats of the tree and then gives it over to Adam, who was standing there right next to her. Another example we've got is all the problems that the Israelites had. You know, Israel had a problem in believing in themselves, didn't they? Matter of fact, you go through the whole book of Judges. God repeatedly sent them judges in to get them to turn back to him to listen to him, to believe in him, not themselves, to the point, but you get to the end of the book, chapter 17, verse 6, and what's it tell us? That they cared more to do what was right in their own eyes. And how did that fare for Israel? A lot of turbulence, didn't it? Also, you can go back over to Matthew, chapter 16. This is opposite of what Jesus said. Of course, this goes with John chapter 9. And we're just reading a different, we're reading Matthew's account instead of Luke's. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are uh, 
some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So does Jesus say that we need to be believing in ourselves? Or do we need to be believing in him? We need to be believing in him. The fact is, when we start believing in ourselves, pride gets out of control. And therefore, we need to remember James 4, verse 10, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. And in the proper time, he will what? Exalt you up. But I want you to go to 2 Corinthians. Listen to Paul's words here. Here in 2 Corinthians, of course, Paul has been talking about his thorn in the flesh. But I want you to go down to verse 9. He's prayed for God to remove it and God hadn't done it. Verse 9, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know what that tells me? We need to believe in Christ. This life is messy. This life, this world lies to us. And the only one that will get us through, that will make us strong, is Christ. There's nothing wrong with believing in yourself to build your confidence, to build your self-esteem. But when you let pride overtake, pride is a very dangerous disease to have in your life. Because Jesus says, it's not the matter of believing in yourself, believe in me. And then the last statement I want us to look at is, as long as you are happy. How many of you have heard this one studied with someone? Or how many of us has heard this? from someone who doesn't want to be a part of the church anymore because they want to be happy in how they live. This is a hard, hard saying in this one because everyone wants to be happy. Does anybody in here not want to be happy? Does anybody in here just want to run around with sad faces? The problem is, you know, a thing that bugs me, it's something universal we all search for, but as a church, we should be the happiest people out into the world. But yet we look to be the most grumpiest, the most running around. We have the greatest thing. We have the words of Jesus Christ. We have his gospel. And we get to share that with the world. So we really should be the happiest people. But that's not really what I'm getting into with this statement. Live so that you are happy. The problem for many of us is we naturally search for this. In the wrong places. We don't go look for happiness here in God's word. We go look for it to whatever our heart desires. Again, can we follow our heart? No. We need to follow Christ. But here in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11. It talks about the mystery of time. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also he put eternity in man's heart. Yet that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. 
You know, when you think about it, God has put eternity in our hearts. We have this, this design to where we want to serve, right? We want eternity. We realize that because God has put it there. Yet for many, we simply look at the here and now. We want to be satisfied now. You know, that is a product of the world we live in. Because right now, if we wanted something delivered at our doorstep, what can we do? Pull out our phone, make the order, and have it delivered to our front door within an hour. But again, you know what we've done as the church? We've allowed our culture to creep in. And when it comes to our happiness, we want to be satisfied now. We want it now. We want our desires met now. And what does this do naturally? It leads to dissatisfaction because it doesn't keep us satisfied. And therefore, this is a lie that Satan has put in because now Satan's in the background going, keep searching. Keep searching. And therefore we become a very dissatisfied people. Instead of being satisfied in with what God has said. I like Psalm 34 verse 8. Oh taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Or happy is the man that takes refuge in him. In other words who is it that provides happiness and satisfaction that lasts? Is it us? Is it what we search out? Or is it God that provides the happiness and the satisfaction and the completeness? It's God that provides that. But let's be honest. Satan doesn't like this, which is our enemy. And therefore, since our enemy doesn't like this, our world doesn't either. The world says they want happiness to be found everywhere. And some of them we say, Hey, it's good you can have God. But don't just rely on God. You can find happiness other places. Therefore, the logic, we seem to let it make sense. Here, God made everything good. God made you. God made you with interest and hobbies that make you happy. How many sat around the TV yesterday and watched college football all day? A few. How many of you like fishing? Hunting? Shopping ladies. God's made all that. There, of course, God wants you to be happy. And if, if God wants you to be unhappy, then he can't be good because that's not a nice thing. You see how we start to lie to ourselves? Maybe the reason we're not always happy is because we shouldn't try to be our own God. But isn't that going back to Genesis chapter 3 of what tripped up Eve? Of the desire to be like God? To know good and evil? To have his wisdom? God didn't really say you can't eat from the tree of the garden. You won't die. You'll be just like God. And then that desire started growing. To where that tree all of a sudden looked really good. I call your attention back to Matthew 16, 26, 
What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? Loses his own soul. You know, I love Ecclesiastes. Because you had a man that tried to gain the whole world. We know Solomon tried everything. Did everything. He had the means. He had the money. But at the end of it, what did Solomon say? Here's the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Keep his commandments. That's what's going to give you lasting happiness. But I want you to go over to 1 John chapter 2. Here in 1 John chapter 2. I'm going to begin in verse 3. Scripture tells us, And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Our true happiness, our true contentment, our life being perfected in God's love is doing what? Walking the way that he's commanded for us to walk. And what I love is thinking about 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. We have been given God's breathed instruction. He's given us everything to where we can be complete. We can be whole. Yes. Does God want you to be happy? Yes, he does. But he wants you to be happy in him. The problem with all three of these statements is that they all focus on self. Follow your heart. Live your truth. Believe in yourself. Live so that you're happy. God says it's not how it works. You're to deny yourself. Take up your cross. It's going to make it look desirable because that's what Satan does. It, it 
And as you turn to God, turn idly to serve the living and true God. And you wait for his son from heaven, who he raised from the dead, Jesus, he delivers us from the wrath to come. What I love about the Thessalonian brethren, they had trouble. Here, Paul was only there for about three weeks. And here, after he established the church, he established them in Christ. What happens? He gets run out of town. And so much so, they hate him so much that they follow him the way he goes into Berea. But what does that mean for the ones who stay there in Thessalonica? Do you think they had to deal with persecution? Do you think they had to deal with hard times? Yes. But did it stop them from doing what they needed to do? I want you to notice, they turned to God from idols. Yes, we don't have idols in the world like they did. Let's go there and pray just a little bit of something. Most of us don't sit down and worship the golden image or, you know, an animal, something like that. But do we have idols of entertainment? Do we have the idol of money? We do. We can talk about that and get off the sacred time. But here the people, who did they turn to? They turned to God. And they were 180, not a 360. They were going one direction. They stopped and they turned and they looked to God. That's the same thing you and I do. So the second thing 